first question, what are we building? Second question, what can go wrong in, in what we're building? And the third question is about what can we do about things that can go wrong? And that's where you identify mitigations. So I can implement security control. And the fourth question is to retrospect, to step back and think about, did we do a good job in identifying the things that can go wrong? Welcome to the DevSec for Scale podcast, the show that makes security a first-class citizen for growing companies. Welcome back, everyone, to the DevSec for Scale podcast. I'm Jeremy Hess, head of developer relations at Achilles. And today with me is a really cool guest. His name is Maran Gunashakaran, and he is the principal security consultant at Practical DevSecOps. They're a product security company. Uh, and Maran, it's great to have you on the show. We spoke, we caught each other through LinkedIn, which was uh, a really cool way always to connect with people. I love doing it that way. And before we get into more about what you're doing, a little about yourself as well, uh, let's get straight into it. So obviously in the past, bunch of years we've been talking about devops and things transitioning into that sort of you know framework uh that culture of devops but we're seeing more and more of this shift to devsecops uh, getting security in there as well so we're talking here a little bit about threat modeling specifically in this episode right um there's a lot of aspects to devsecops of course we'll focus on threat modeling for this episode so how is threat modeling in this devsecops world evolved over the past few years all right, great. Thanks for having me, Jeremy. Threat modeling, how has that evolved over the past few years? Well, the focus on DevOps, at least the principles and values of DevOps are geared towards collaboration, automation, elimination of waste, and other lean and agile values out there. Threat modeling has traditionally been a sport for the few brave it was an individual sport, a lot of documentations took time to produce, but that is changing. Less automation, but that has changed over time. Threat modeling has now become more and more collaborative because developers are more involved in security aspects and security engineers also wants to reduce their load of security by offloading some of the responsibilities because we realized as security engineers that we can't get all the security job done ourselves. People that actually code, architects that actually design these systems, when they design security, our work becomes a lot easier. And at the end of the day, the organization becomes more and more secure. So threat modeling has had a lot of advantages in terms of automation. The tooling these days are focused more and more on collaboration in terms of bringing threat modeling right to the developers. And also, one of the outcomes of threat modeling is a list of threats or a list of mitigations. Getting that right into the place is where developers collaborate. And also, there has been enterprise-level developments importing threat modeling from different tooling, improvements in tooling, new methodologies of threat models that will help you, that will help developers to really threat model at lightning fast. If it, if a threat modeler took about two days or two weeks to complete a very comprehensive threat model 10 years ago. Now a scrum team would be capable of threat modeling a small user story in less than five or 10 minutes. And that's where threat modeling has been evolving as we see it. Oh, really cool. So yeah, we're, we'll talk a little bit about just the basics of threat modeling in, in, uh, in a very short while. Before we go forward there, uh, 
tell us a little bit about yourself, Maren. What have you been doing uh, and a little bit about the company? Right. I'm a principal security consultant at Practical DevSecOps. I used to be a developer writing software for some of the major corporations around the globe. Uh, also been an agile coach myself, consulting a lot of companies in, uh, in Europe about transitioning from waterfall to agile software development and also towards DevOps. And then gradually uh, had my security interest uh, materialized by becoming a DevSecOps consultant as well. In fact, we used to be doing a lot of these security practices back in the day in an agile fashion. We have, we've had agile coaches who have all these questions, but how can you do that early? How can you do that before production? How can we embed this in your CI CD pipeline? Because that tells us the truth. So I come from that background. So naturally the, the, the shift left security, not very new, but it's, it's, it's a new name and new name sometimes helps people deliver value, realize new value. So that's the work that I've been doing. And for the past three to four years, predominantly involved in threat modeling as well uh, for a lot of product development organizations in a way that we train a team in threat model and in the end we deliver a threat model themselves. Threat model is not created by us as experts, the threat models that were collaboratively created by the team of developers and architects that were responsible for creating and delivering that system. That's who I am and um, really like doing our work at this time. Fantastic. That's great. Uh, so let's go back now to uh, the topic at hand, threat modeling. So what do you see is, let's do like a, a quick overview, what threat modeling just means in an organization in you know a sentence or two, and what are the basic threat models that security teams uh, can pass on to developers? All right, I'll take the first one first. What is threat modeling? Many definitions out there, but the simplest things people can understand before you build a house, you draw a picture of the house about the foundations, the walls, the doors, you draw a picture. And the reason you do that is you want to visualize things first. Visualization helps in better understanding of something that does not exist, right? And in software, we don't see something as a house as physical, right? It's all code that is behind the system. So it becomes even more important to actually visualize things that we do not see. So visualization is very important and it's a part of threat modeling. And just like when you build a house, you visualize, you see the entry points where people can enter. And you probably are thinking about the valuables that you're going to keep inside the house and how you're going to defend them. It can be people, it can be your big screen television or some crown jewel that your grandmother has passed on to you over the years. There's, there's always something that, that we want to keep private and we want to protect. In a similar way, before you write a software, you'd like to, you, you, want, to, you want to picture that software and assess where my software is exposed, what are my communication ports, what are my communication protocols, where am I storing my sensitive or critical information, how am I protecting it, are my security controls sufficient? When you answer those questions, you are thinking about people that are going to attack you, your security controls, in a way you're, you're threat modeling, you're creating a model of your threats, and you're thinking about what you're gonna do about those threats. And there are, there are various models about structurally identifying these things, we'll get into it. 
the, the second question was about what are some of the ideas that you can pass on to developers? There is, a, there is an excellent, excellent fourth question framework by Adam Shostak. It's also a part of the, the website, uh, Track Modeling Manifesto. The first question is trying to figure out what are we building, right? What are we building to define what are the different components of the system? What is the business goals of the system? So what are we building? Answer that first question together with the list of business requirements, the users, and the core problem that it solves. So that you answer the first question, what are we building? The second question you think about, what can go wrong in that system, right? What are the things that can go wrong in that system? People can attack that system, systems can become vulnerable themselves, or we might have introduced a weakness unknowingly while building that system. So the second question is essentially about what are the things that can go wrong? And in security, we often want to mitigate things that do not happen, things that we don't want to happen, right? People often explain their business value in terms of, well, I want to implement the security control because I do not want something to happen. And that's what we answer in the second question. First question, what are we building? Second question, what can go wrong in, in what we're building? And the third question is about what can we do about things that can go wrong? And that's where you identify mitigations. So I can implement security control. And the fourth question is to retrospect, to step back and think about, did we do a good job in identifying the things that can go wrong? And also in identifying what can we do about the things that can go wrong? So the four question framework, very abstract. And abstractions in threat modeling promote a lot of creativity. So uh, a practical advice to, to developers or anybody that is new to threat modeling is start with that four question framework. Answer, what are we building? What can go wrong? What can we do about things that can go wrong? And uh, take a step back and think about, did we do a good job in identifying what can go wrong and what we could do about it? Oh that's yeah, great. One of, the, one of the practical advices at the moment for now. Yeah, it fits. It fits in also sort of with a dev DevOps mentality as well, where everything is really cyclical and you know comes back to each other, right? Because at the end of the day, you always need that feedback loop to come back and fix the things that you weren't sure of the first time, and now you found out, and you got to make come back, make those changes, make those fixes, and uh, obviously, security teams are usually the ones that are you know coming to the developers with all these different problems saying, okay, we need to fix this. We need to do that. We need to fix this, put that into your next sprint. And I was speaking with uh, previous, uh, my previous guest, Ravid, um, from a company called Simplicity uh, about this exact topic where security teams are, you know, overwhelming developers with the amount of changes and fixes uh, and revisions that need to be made in the code. And it's really hard for developers to get it into their sprints properly. So that's probably something that with threat modeling also, could potentially put a damper on the development lifecycle um, in terms of you know new features, but hopefully, uh, hopefully it's uh, a little less straining on them. But indeed, indeed, it, it, it is very true, and, and most organizations face this. Developers are busy with their own priorities and schedules, and as security, we want to secure our system. We've had a security officer who had just delivered a pen test report to a system. This was four years ago. And then after a couple of months, the same security officer did a session about threat modeling by taking the stride model as an example. 
And then six months down the line, we were in conversation with the security officer and he was telling us, yeah, I did a session with them, give them vulnerability reports, but people doesn't seem to do it by themselves. And we were thinking at the back of our head, well, one hour session on threat modeling, that's a great starter, but what other tools have we provided them to their aid to help them identify threats? At that time, it was none, and then we worked together to, to, to close that gap. Yeah, absolutely. So threat modeling itself, it seems to be, you know, it could be a, a, a difficult task. And you talked about how we kind of turned it into automation these days. But you know, how difficult is it really to put uh, threat models into practice? Uh, how difficult, great question, how difficult it is to put threat modeling in practice. It depends on the size of people or the size of the project or the size of the code base or the development team that you're working with. The more the mass of something, the difficult it is for us, it is for that object to move. At the same time, the more the mass of an object, the more force that it is that it requires to move. So think about that from an organization's perspective. You have a startup, uh, a team of two, two scrum teams with uh, three to nine developers. You can get started with threat modeling, implement automation, implement work tracking of threat modeling threats, all of those things within a matter of a month with greatest levels of maturity. But if you wanna scale that to an enterprise level, then obviously there are there are challenges, right? Challenges that involve uh, processes and, and bureaucracies within the organization. And I don't want to use the word bureaucracy in a derogatory sense. Of course, they are essential. But at the same time, getting approvals and planning to roll out threat modeling can itself be difficult. But there are some things that can help. Some of the banks that we're working with they are spinning up their own startup versions of their own because they recognize that they're a bank, they need to be regulated. So when they want to launch a virtual banking project, virtual banking product, and they spin up a 100-member development team, they have some amount of freedom within their boundaries to innovate on their own. And we tried threat modeling with them. Uh, first was a training, and then was the consulting that followed afterwards, two days of training. And then the third and fourth day, was actually kicking out those example models that we discussed in training, but then bringing the, their actual models and then threat modeling for those actual models that that team is building. It took about a month's time to get to a certain level of maturity. It was a team of 100 developers. The overall size of that organization was 150. Again, it was a spin-off of a larger bank. On the other hand, when we were working with an energy provider in Europe, it took about two years uh, to, to convey some level of DevSecOps maturity along with threat models. There are lighter ways that you can get started with, and you can simply say, well, I'm good with this threat models, uh, but sometimes security purists might disagree to those approaches because threat modeling, again, uh, it doesn't need to be comprehensive from our opinion and also from some of the industry experts' opinion. As long as you identify threats, you're good. So the, the short answer really is it, is it depends on the size of your organization and the complexities of processes that you have. But there are lightweight approaches like the four-question framework and the stride model that developers obviously love. There's, there's another interesting story. We, 
we did a static analysis training with um, with some 20 developers, all experienced with C++ programming mathematical solutions for about 30 years, lifetime of work in, in statistical systems. They really got bored about dynamic analysis and static analysis. But when we introduced Stride to them, they really loved that idea. They were able to picture different systems. And the front-end developers told the back-end developers, well, I thought you guys were responsible for validation. They were co-located in a 500 square feet office. And they've had their own assumptions about very simple things as input validations. Difficult question to answer, but there are practices you can get started with. If there's a follow-up question, we can certainly talk about those practices. Oh, that's going to be, uh, I think, a, another episode in itself. Uh, but uh, yeah, so that that's, uh, you know, obviously threat modeling uh, is is a, a big idea, I think, overall, and, and probably a, a pretty, you know, uh, necessary practice. But in terms of where threat models live in an organization, you know, what, how, how does that work? You know, where do they sit uh, and, you know, how should they be delivered? All right, another excellent question. Um, at this time, threat model lives everywhere. It lives in a piece of paper on an architect's diary. Sometimes it lives on a whiteboard right there as an architectural diagram with a bunch of sticky notes. Sometimes it lives as a PDF document in somebody's email address, probably a reporting manager or a security officer's email address. Very rarely, again, this is the trend that we're seeing these days, threat models are a part of the work tracking systems that developers and operations teams use. So if you're using Atlassian Jira, if you're using Azure DevOps or Trello as your work tracking system, the most modern threat modeling teams actually deliver their threats and mitigations right into those systems. And the reason for that is we, want, we as security want to, want to collaborate in a place where developers and operations engineers collaborate. And apparently that's where their work is. In conversations with product owners or business owners in an organization, they would like to have a single source of truth for their requirements. Now, if you give them a PDF document, a threat model as a PDF document, well, they're simply gonna send it to a scrum master or a senior member of the development team and then say, can you create work items for these? And the next questions they asked, well, I understand, but could you tell us which are the important ones to be fixed in this list? So you prioritize your a list of threats or list of mitigations and then the most ideal way is to put them in the issue tracking systems or work tracking systems where engineers collaborate. Because every sprint, they can at least pick one item into their sprint backlog and then keep improving security iteratively. Well, that's one way. The other recent approaches is where threat models live in version control systems as code. So what used to be a diagram and a whiteboard can now be codified into textual representation. In Microsoft Threat Modeling Tool, which is free, you can create diagrams based on a Visio editor. And then the Microsoft Threat Modeling Tool will actually give you a list of threats based on whether you defined 
a web server has HTTPS or not, based on whether the web server authorizes the request or not. It has its own rules engine, and it can actually deliver a list of threats to you. But how do you save that model? Well, you can save that as a certain format supported by the Microsoft Threat Modeling Tool, but you can also codify that same approach. There's a library called PyTM, which is a Pythonic way of writing threat models. There's also another new approach called Threadgile. Threadgile stands for threat modeling in Agile. So Threadgile, fancy name. Also a great tool for writing your threat model descriptions prescriptively using YAML. It can live in your risk control system. It can generate your list of threats. It can also generate diagrams can also be integrated into your CI, CD systems, all of those. Well, you know, when, when you codify something, the possibilities of automation are just endless. Uh, fantastic. That's where, yeah. that's where we see threat models going forward these days. And also a lot of uh, commercial tool vendors are also realizing this. And there are also tons of integrations between work tracking systems. So right within an enterprise threat modeling solution, you can actually integrate your work tracking systems where developers collaborate. So your threat models live in, in the enterprise solution, but the outcome of that threat model, which is the work to be done on a software, the mitigations for a threat, they're actually connected to your work tracking systems such as Jira and Azure DevOps. I hope that puts some things in perspective yeah, there. Yeah, absolutely. Everything is code is uh, is really the direction, and uh, it's great to see that. Um, so in terms of the, now we're talking about managing it as code, how do you actually take those threat models and manage them properly? Because, you know, what are you maybe worried about a proliferation of threat models that are found in different places, different versions, different, you know, so how do you manage all of that? All right, uh, great question. So uh, when you write threat models as code, how do you manage different versions of threat models? I, I seem to contemplate that question with, when our software is programmed as code, how do we manage different versions? Uh, we can take advantage of the branching strategies and the versioning strategies that are available within virtual control systems. But how's this going to work practically, right? Imagine I'm a member of a Scrum team and I come to my sprint planning session and I have a mandate. Mandates can oftentimes sometimes be helpful as well. I have a mandate for my security officer. Out of the two hours that I have for my sprint planning session, I should spend 15 minutes to review my threat model. Okay, so I have my code. I, I pull my code from the version control system. I pull my threat model as code from the version control system. And I discuss with the rest of my team members and I'm thinking, hey, we're introducing this new feature. Here's the diagram that represents that. Does the new feature make any changes to this architecture diagram or the protocols or the ports or the authorization modules? I'm gonna ask that question or one of the team members can ask that question because collaboration is essential in agile software development. But when that question has an answer and they say, yes, we're touching the authorization module and we're changing a certain thing, then I'm gonna flip that switch in my code. I'm simply gonna say web server.authorization.ldap is equal to certain property. 
and that's that's a line of code that I would write in my threat model. And the threat model can then interpret that, change its architecture diagram, also change its list of threats and produce as an output of the mitigations that we need to take, take, uh, take care of. And then I can commit that code, that becomes a new version. And then I can push that to my version control system. So in my next sprint planning, I can, I can repeat the whole process. Now, the key of, of course, uh, managing things as code is the the dynamic nature, right? So that indeed, as you indeed. as you as you push something out, deliver it, ship it, then your, your next version you can already start building on, and then you know iterate uh, uh, based on that. So uh, that's that's great stuff. Now, one thing I'm always interested in people who are you know really hands on with these kinds of things. Um, uh, so as obviously as a consultant, you know you've been had your hand in a lot of different pots, uh, a lot of different companies, a lot of different models, a lot of different, uh, you know, enterprises with different infrastructure. So can you give us any sort of like real world example of how security and devs would align on threat modeling uh, when they're shipping new code? Excellent. I'll, I'll try and give uh, how security can dev align on threat modeling. Number one, again, I'm going to borrow some principles from, um, from the DevSecOps practices, right? Uh, one of the emerging approaches of security education is people say training is great, uh, but there's not a lot of value in just the training. But if you do a hackathon instead, where you train about a vulnerability, and then you ask a developer to find that vulnerability in their system, then there's a lot of value. One, you're identifying the vulnerability in your system. Two, they're letting developers practice something that they did not know, which also helps in retaining that knowledge. And similarly, with threat modeling, call people, call your bunch of developers and architects for a one-hour session, because many a times, architects and developers are protective of their own system. If you as an external party go and tell them, I've found vulnerabilities here and there, that might be a strike on their ego, depending on the people and the organizations I work with. But rather, if you twist that conversation and then say, hey, could we come together? Because I we have this new threat and we would like to see if that threat is relevant to our application or not. Then people might be interested to come into your session. So one thing that you want to do as security is to pull people in to a brainstorming uh, or a conversation for about an hour, ask for one hour. And in one hour, you really have to deliver a certain value, which is going to help you build credibility with a certain team so that the next time they're gonna pull you into their conversation, right? So start with simple threat modeling approaches like the four question framework. You can use try it as a model or look at OWASP top 10 as a list of threats. Call your people and then say, hey, first one is injection. Injection has been on the top 10 list for about two decades now. How do you think our software is protected against SQL injection? Sometimes we hear, yeah, we have some old stack uh, written in uh, classic ASP. We don't want to touch that code. So we have a web application firewall protecting for SQL injection. Sometimes we hear that. Sometimes we hear, you're telling us SQL injection from 2005. 
we're really, we're really using object relational mappers now. So let's move on to the next list, please. So use simple approaches and simple lists that people can understand within that one hour session and try to deliver that value. If you practice this with one team, the idea might cross pollinate between other teams within the same organization. So people might pull you in as well. Despite the fact that developers are busy with their own schedules, they're also protective of their, of their own code. So that is something that we can do. The, 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 the challenge about threat modeling is to bring people together, right? You wanna bring people together because we want to know which risk is a high, high which risk is, is a high risk that needs to be mitigated, right? And in order to answer that question, you're gonna to wanna to have some business context to it. The amount of money that is being spent on a system or the amount of money that is being, that would be spent on a security control. So to answer those questions, you're gonna to need to have the relevant people. But if they're not there, it's okay. Within your circle of influence as a threat modeler and a bunch of development teams, you can make your own decisions yourself. So bring people in for an hour. Try to try, you know, try to make that happen, and then whatever you do is gonna is gonna work magic. Simple approaches, threat modeling, or the even simpler approach is the elevation of privilege card game. Distribute a bunch of cards and then say, who in this room can say? that whether the threat in the card applies to our system or not. You can play a card game within a couple of hours. And it's also very interesting because it's a gamified approach. Elevation of privilege is one card game. There are also, there's a card game from OWASP called OWASP Cornucopia. Hmm. There's also privacy versions of card games. They're great. Even if your teams are not up to play card games and award points to somebody who to identify the relevant threat, simply looking at the card and a threat and then finding whether that threat applies to our system or not can work wonders. And we've done this a lot with many, many different teams. The prerequisite to all of this is you're gonna need a diagram. And that can be another, that can be another showstopper. A lot of times diagrams are outdated or people do not have diagrams or the architect is on a vacation for about a month. Funny things can happen. When diagrams are not there, bring people in, uh, bring up a whiteboard, picture whatever diagram that you can at the best effort, and then start playing cards or use OWASP Popkin as a list and find out what you have in your application and what are the missing controls, identify timeline to fix those things. Yeah, absolutely. Start playing Thanks. cards as a, start, start playing cards as a, definitely a sentence i'd like to hear more uh <laughs> that's good Game, gamification is fantastic I, it's good to see that there's even gamification in the security uh security land so that's nice uh I, we have a very just short amount of time left as well marin so uh i wanted to know if you had a, a obviously coming from the background someone who is a developer someone who does devops DevSecOps, any advice that you would have for developers um that can they can sort of practice, you know, some good security without having to take up too much of their time in terms of their development, uh, you know, developing features and all that. Great question. There are multiple ways to do that. And I will share my experience. I, as a developer, was hooked on to security 
because of my first interactions with security people. I was responsible for building applications and all of a sudden Hewlett Packard said, uh, well, your application needs to go through a security review. So I took those conversations and I said, uh, there was also a course that I took on Pluralsight, hackproofing ASP.NET applications, very interesting. So security is interesting. Curiosity is a factor. And that depends a lot on uh, hiring great people and retaining those great people as well. Whatever your size of developers are, irrespective of their culture, tooling helps us provide a segue into the field of security. If you're on Windows, Microsoft Threat Modeling Tool is great. Download that tool, it runs only on Windows, unfortunately, it's an execute.exe file. Open it up, drag a bit, drag some boxes from the stencil, and then say, analyze threats. Diagram whatever you want. There, there's tutorials out there in the Microsoft website itself that helps you picture your architecture diagrams and threats. After you have the list of threats, the tools will obviously provide descriptions about these threats. You're gonna have to, you're gonna need to have time to do all of these things, of course. So a little bit of top-down support, a little bit of buy-in from the product owner goes a long way. If you are not on the Microsoft stack, there are commercial tools. Irius Risk is one of them, offers a free community edition SaaS-based product. You don't have to worry about exposing your private information there drawing a bunch of boxes, giving generic names to those boxes work. Threat Modeler is another commercial tool, also has a SaaS-based community edition, also worth trying, draw a bunch of boxes, will provide you a list of, list of threats and mitigations to work on. So from a developer perspective, those are things that will help secure my application. And that's a way people can utilize the tooling out there. Again, tooling is only an aid, Correct modeling is again is an art that you only get better at it the more you practice it. But is there a way to ease the barriers of entry? Some of the ways are using these tools. Some of the ways are practicing with a bunch of your fellow team members using card games. And then you're eventually going to get better at it. You would, you would end up getting hooked on to security as well. Hmm. Yeah, fantastic advice. <laughs> uh, Maran Gunashkaran, thank you so much for your time. Uh, Principal Security Consultant at Practical DevSecOps. It was great to have you on the show. I look forward to being in touch and seeing uh, where you go from here. And uh, maybe we could have another uh, call, uh, you know, in a little while. So thanks so much. Have a really good one. And uh, to everybody out there, stay secure. Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me, Jeremy.